0: Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. I'm glad you're here today as we continue our series in What We Believe. And uh, for the next two Sundays, we're going to actually be talking about what we believe about end times. Uh, I think it's important that we know what the Bible teaches about that, and and just so you'll know that there are a lot of different opinions on this, but I'm just going to share with you um, from my studies and from my training and what I've learned from professors that I trust and Bible scholars and Greek scholars and Hebrew scholars uh, that I'll, I'm just going to share with you the way I interpret it. Uh, but I want to back up a little bit. Seven weeks ago on July the 7th, I interviewed Ray Washington, who's a pastor up the street, an African-American pastor. Uh, it's when we were um, just starting to come back, but there was a video interview, but since he was, uh, preaching at his church and at the close of the interview, as we were just talking about the racial issues in our country, I shared with him about my great, great grandfather who was a commander in the, uh, uh in the uh, Confederate army, but also was a slave owner. And I asked him this question, I said, so coming from a family that owned slaves, I want to ask for your forgiveness for what my family did. And and of course, he gave that. Now, the reason I did that, I took that from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, when he heard about the walls in Jerusalem had been torn down, when he got a report from his brother and, and the gates had been burned, he was crushed, he prayed and he fasted. But when he, conf- when he was praying, he confessed the sins of his people But he included himself by saying we. And even though he wasn't there, and even though he personally didn't do it, and even though he personally didn't sin in that way, he became a part of it because it was his people. And, and so that's the teaching I was taking of saying, you know, this was my people that did this, even though I personally didn't do it. And it was several generations ago. It was my blood relatives, my direct I was a direct descendant of this, and and so it did create some confusion for some people because they were beginning to wonder, well, what should I do? Am I responsible for what my ancestors did? And uh, my response to that is, no, you're not. Um, I was taking something that the Holy Spirit was leading me to do, and uh, so it was a personal thing, not a teaching thing. It was not to teach to you, this is what you need to do. Uh, but rather it was to show you my being obedient to the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit led me to do. And, and so some people were confused about that. And I here, here's what I want to say to you. Whenever you're not sure what I'm saying or what I've taught, or you're confused about the interpretation of the scripture, or even if you disagree with the interpretation, I'm an open book. I'm easy to get a hold of contact me, call me, send me an email so that we can discuss it, we can talk about it, and, uh, and so that I can bring clarification in any way possible to you. So my purpose was not to put anybody on a guilt trip, but rather just to demonstrate personally what I was doing, and I've always tried to be an open book uh, to this church and just personally share what I'm dealing with and struggling with, and that was one of those moments. Uh, so I hope that gives some clarifications and that will help you now today as we talk about in uh, times and and the question we're really asking is what what am I to do in times like these and um, I, a fellow pastor. Uh, did some teaching and did some study in this area, and, and I studied his notes, and so I'm going to be using some of his notes. I want to, I, I want to give credit to that. and uh, so. But I, I want to start with 1 John chapter 4 and kind of lay a foundation for you about what we're going to talk about today. In uh, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 of 1 John, it says, This is how we would know if they have the Spirit of God. So it's here's the litmus test. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledge, acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if a person claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus... That person is not from God. So basically what John is saying is Jesus is the litmus test. If you miss it about Jesus, you've missed it. So you, the appropriate question to ask anyone, especially someone who claims to be a prophet or be a teacher, is who do you say Jesus is? And that response, that answer tells you all that you need to know. Because they may be correct in what they're saying, but their premise is wrong. Their foundation is wrong. and, and, And so instead of dealing with the individual statements that they're making, get down to the root thing and get down to the litmus test is who do you say Jesus is? And that tells you all that you need to know. He says, but if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person, now listen to this. This is very strong words. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist. Wow. Basically, they're saying if you're wrong about who Jesus is, then you're actually of Satan. Strong words. So if that person is not from God, such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, indeed is already here. So 2,000 years ago, John was saying he's already here, the spirit of the Antichrist, so that means he's still here, so the spirit of the Antichrist is here. Now let me go ahead and get it out there and tell you plain and simple, we are not living during the tribulation period. There's one main key reason why I can say that emphatically. You and I are still here. You see, at the beginning of the tribulation period, I believe the Bible teaches that we are caught up into heaven, that Jesus comes and removes his church, that's us, he removes us, takes us to heaven, and then there begins the seven years of tribulation. So I'm very thankful for that. I would rather watch the tribulation from heaven than to live it here on earth. And so we are not in the tribulation period. It will begin when the rapture happens. But the spirit of end times are here. Just like the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. Now one of the ways that we know this is through the teachings in Revelation about the four horses of the Apocalypse. The four horses of the, of the Apocalypse. In, in Revelation chapter six, verse two, John, who was on the island of Patmos, who had been exiled there. He was given division, uh, visions. He was given direct knowledge from God himself about what was going to happen. And so here's one of the incidences. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. The rider carried a bow, and a bow was used for war, and a crown was placed on his head. That means he was the leader, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. So, the spirit of the white horse is disruption and deception. And he Is the Antichrist. This rider on the white horse is the Antichrist. That's why he has the crown. And he brings a spirit of disruption and deception. Now, would you agree with me that the spirit of the white horse is alive and well in our society, in our world right now? Is there disruption? I mean, there's been disruption on the whole planet. Your lives have been totally disrupted uh, uh, for the last five months. Has there been any deception? Every day. Every day you read the news. There's deceptions coming from everywhere. But here's what I want you to see. Instead of looking at the mouthpiece of that deception, look at the spirit behind the, the, the deception. And that's the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the white horse. Then, verse four, we have another horse. It says, "Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from earth. And there was a was war and slaughter everywhere. So this the now the, the that horse has not literally come yet. He will. But the spirit of the red horse is here, and here's the spirit of the red horse. Fear and violence. Is there a lot of fear going on in our country? Is there a lot of violence going on in our country? You know, we had some violence in our city for a very short period of time because our law enforcement and the mayor and the governor, they jumped all over it. But look at what's happening in so many other cities. I mean, there's just total chaos. Violence every night. Fear every night. So the spirit of the red horse, he has the power to take peace from the earth. So the spirit of the red horse is alive and well right now. And that's why peace is is being constantly taken away. Now, the third horse, Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6. When the lamb broke the third seal, I saw the third living being say, Come, and I looked up, and I saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales, talking about buying and selling. He was holding a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard a voice from among the four living beings, a loaf of wheat, Of bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. So, in other words, when the black horse comes, his spirit is economic collapse. What costs a little today is going to cost a whole bunch later. What just costs pennies in comparison, you'll have to work an entire day for you go and buy a loaf of bread today and you spend a couple of bucks. The day's coming. You'll have to work all day long to get that same loaf of bread. And and so this third spirit of the black horse brings economic collapse. And, uh, now this is not to scare anyone, but rather to prepare everyone. So this is going to come the spirit of it will come from time to time, and that's why we'll have recessions, and that's why we'll have inflations, and, uh, but, but so the spirit of the, uh, of the black horse has been here for a long time, but then the real black horse is going to show up, and again, you and I won't be here, praise God, but those that are left behind, they're going to see an economic collapse like never before. Like never before. And it will be worldwide. That's what's going to happen. Then their fourth horse, verse 8. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death. And his companion was the Grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth... To kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. So the spirit of the pale horse is disease and death. Now, this is how I know that we're not in this yet. Yes. The spirit of the pale horse is here, but the pale horse himself is not here yet, and here's how we know. We're getting close to 8 billion people living on this planet. When this pale horse shows up, 2 billion people will die. In World War II, they tell us like 50 million people died, soldiers and civilians. When this guy shows up, two billion people will die. A fourth of the planet. Aren't you glad you're not going to be here when that happens? And don't you want to make sure that any of your friends and any of your relatives are not here as well? So these horses, the spirit of these horses Are already here and we get freaked out about what is happening and you know things uh, people are losing sleep people are going in depression things may not get back to normal for a long time if ever I mean I don't know what's yet to come but I want to tell you (laughs) Jeremiah was complaining about the situation he was living in and he he was complaining to God about the wicked people and uh, he said they're prospering and they're happy. How are you letting them get away with that? And here's what God said to him. In uh, Jeremiah 12, 5, God said, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how are you going to race against horses? So here's the lesson. If what we're going through is small potatoes of what's to come and we are depressed and overwhelmed and don't know what to do and we're believers, if we can't handle these small potatoes, what in the world will we do when the real horses show up? Well, praise God, I'm not going to be here. And you're not going to be here if you know Jesus personally. And I want to make sure everybody I know goes with me in that rapture. Because I want to tell you, if we can't handle times like now, imagine what it's like when a fourth of the world dies. A loaf of bread, you have to work all day long just to get a loaf of bread. There's a world leader who takes charge of everything. I mean, it's going to get so bad so quickly because all of that will happen. Everything we just read about of these four horses will happen in seven years. That's yet to come. But in the meantime, We live with the here and now. So how do we run with these horses? Now, as a pastor and as your friend, I wish I could change our circumstances, but I cannot. What I can do is help prepare us. And uh, if you really want a quick version of end times, then read first Thessalonians chapter four and chapter five. When you go home today, you read those two chapters and you'll get a quick overview of what the end times are like. And Paul gives a quick overview, but then at the end of chapter five, he gives a list of instructions, A set of instructions. And it's an end times checklist. And he tells us that there are nine things to do. Now we're going to talk about four of them today. And next week we'll talk about the other five. So when, when you feel fearful... And you feel overwhelmed and you feel depressed and you're filled full of anxiety and you're not sure what to do. Go to the checklist in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and say, okay, I need to start doing these five things. So that's what we're gonna go over because this is our instruction from God as to what we're to do, how to live in times like these. So even when these times are over, guess what's gonna happen? There are gonna be other times that follow it because the spirit of the four horses and the spirit of the Antichrist are still here. So we might get through this temporary thing And everything's cool and everything's fine, but something's gonna follow it. And it's gonna keep getting that way until the rapture happens, and then it really gets bad. So praise God that we have hope in a Savior, Jesus Christ, and that He will get me through these times that are really small potatoes compared to what's coming and he's going to protect me from having to even go through the seven years. So praise God for that. So let's go through these four things real quick. First thing that we're to do is we're to live with covering. Get under the umbrella. Now here's what I mean by that. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. So that's exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm giving you spiritual guidance based on God's word. Show them great respect and wholeheartedly, wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. So here's the teaching. God gives us coverings. He does that through civil leadership. He does that through uh, spiritual leadership. That's where I come in. He does it through in the family arena by having parents. He does it at school by having principals and teachers. Uh, he does it locally with police officers and mayors, uh, by the state, with the governor, by our country, with the president. And we're told in other places in scripture, we ought to be praying for all those that are in leadership position. I wanna tell you, can you imagine what our governor and our president deal with on a daily basis? I mean, even when things are good, the pressure they must feel and the loneliness they must feel knowing that the decision falls on their shoulders. And I cannot begin to imagine the weight that they feel. And so we're to pray for them. Even if we don't agree with them, we're to pray for them and ask God to shore them up, to help them, to guide them. And we are to pray for our local leaders. Listen, I want to tell you, your, your teachers, our local teachers and principals right now, they need our prayers like crazy. I mean, there's so confusion about what's going to happen and how we're going to do this. How's this going to even work? And teaching is tough enough by itself under normal circumstances. So imagine when the rules are all changing and they're fluid right now. Our teachers really need our prayers. Our local police officers, they need our prayers. I, I mean, goodness, they have, they're, they have been put in a position of having to second guess themselves every step of the way. And sometimes their lives are on the line in a brief second, a decision has to be made that could mean the difference between life and death. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. So we need to live under a covering. That's what we're to do. We're not to isolate ourselves, even though we have to sometimes quarantine ourselves. We're not to live isolated lives. We need each other. So we're to honor and we're to watch how God protects. We are always better together. Always better together. Second thing, in verse 14, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. So we are to live with ministry. We're to do ministry. So we don't live isolated. We live under a covering, an umbrella that God has given us and we don't spend all of our time taking care of ourselves, but we are to help take care of others. You see, in a season of the four horses, you either take care of yourself or you look out for other people. It's a little bit of both, but you've got to make sure you're looking out for other people. It's hard to get, it's hard to get out of depression and depression has gone way up during these times, especially people who've just t- totally had to quarantine. Uh, you know, I talked to uh, family members who've had to quarantine and, and they're about to go crazy and it's been tough. And, and so you, you get in a depression and it's tough to get out of depression. But let me tell you one of the things that helps you get out of depression is when you know what your purpose is, you know what your spiritual gifts are and you start using them. And you start doing it. And, and so if you want to get out of depression quicker, you focus on meeting the needs of other people. Because as you do that, you're allowing God to meet your needs. But when we're so busy taking care of ourselves, sometimes we tie the hands of God from helping us. So focus on others, minister to others. The, the antidote for Of needing ministry is to do ministry. If you're always looking for ministry to do something for you, you need to change that and you need to find out what you can do for ministry. And God will meet your needs. The third thing is to live with grace. Verse 15 See that no one pays back evil for evil. But always try to do good to each other and to all people. So we're to live with grace. Grace is giving something they don't deserve. Mercy is not paying back, but grace is actually doing something good. Mercy is not giving them what they deserve. Grace is giving them something they don't deserve. So I am, based on verse 15, am told I need to find a way to do something good for others. So, don't give people what they deserve, give people what they need. Big difference. And there's no qualifier in here in terms of whether they deserve it or not because they don't. Neither do you. We give because we're told to give, we give people what they need. So live with grace. The last one we're going to cover today is live with joy. Live with joy. 1 Thessalonians 5:16. If you want to memorize a Bible verse, here's an easy one. Always be joyful. All right, you already got it memorized. Always be joyful. That's a choice. Nehemiah, when they were completing the walls and the gates, he said to them in Nehemiah eight ten. he said to the people, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet, uh, sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So live in joy. That's what he's saying. Live in that joy. I mean, make it a choice to be joyful. Because it is a choice. In Philippians 4.4, 4, it says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. So that means it's a choice. You choose it. Rick and Kay Warren, uh, Rick's the pastor of Saddleback. Uh, I've had the privilege of talking with him many times. And he's um, the uh, one that wrote the purpose-driven book, uh, Purpose-Driven Life, And several years ago, they went through the greatest pain a parent could go through. Uh, They had a son who I think he was in his early 30s or late 20s to commit suicide. They did everything possible to help him. He was uh, just chronically depressed. They had him with the best doctors, the best people. They did everything possible to help him. And... um, but here's here's something Kay Warren said after all that happened. And th- these words are more powerful knowing what she went through. She said, "Joy is the determined choice to praise God in all things." So when Scripture says, Always be full of joy in the Lord, I say again, rejoice. That is a determined choice. So during this time when the spirit of the four horses is a little more prevalent, you choose to praise God in all things. You choose to live under that umbrella of covering. You choose to live doing a ministry. You choose to live with grace, not revenge. And you choose to live with joy. Let's pray. Now I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about I want you to think about something very important if the rapture were to happen this afternoon would you be a part of it you see once that happens then and you're not a follower of jesus then you have no choice but to go through the seven years of tribulation or at least part of it. Now people can get saved during the tribulation, but my, what they have to go through. It's overwhelming to even think about. So I pray that if you don't know for sure that Jesus is Lord of your life, that Jesus is your Savior. I pray that you'll make this decision right now. Acknowledge that Jesus did come. He lived among us. That he was willing to die on a cross for your sins. And the Bible says, if anybody who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved, that if by faith you believe that he came and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead and you ask him to come into your life, God makes it clear that you're one of his and you will be a part of his family for all eternity. And that's the only way you can really run with the horses. And that's really the only way that you can survive when the spirit of the horses show up is the power of God that's in you. The Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the, in the world. I pray that you'll open up your heart right now. Say, Lord... Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Let me start this journey with you. Now, if you've made that decision, I'd love to hear from you. Just text me at the church and give the church a call or you go to our website you can leave a message there. Just let us hear from you so that we can rejoice with you and we'd love to give you some things to help you in your journey as you begin that growth process as a new believer. Now, to those of you who are our believers, let's start acting like it. Let's follow Paul's commands in 1 Thessalonians. Let's live the way we're told to live. Let's choose to rejoice and be joyful. God bless.